Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs, startups, and side hustlers share their startup stories. Rising Tide helps you break free from the Monday blues and launch your own startup. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. Lucy, thank you again for a great introduction. And this is Kevin Pro with Rising Tide Startups. And my special guest today is Tom King. Tom, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Kevin, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on during these interesting times. Interesting time. What a, what a, he's already started off with the classic understatement. So, um, yeah, Tom, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I mean, I can go way back. I mean, I was born in Wisconsin. My parents moved to Colorado. Um, you know, my dad, uh, bought a, bought some land and had a ranch. And so I basically grew up in the country, um, on a small ranch, uh, with cattle and, and ducks and chickens and stuff like that. And, um, then I moved from Colorado to, uh, to Arizona. Um, and in Arizona, I got into the broadcast industry and I moved from Arizona to California where I got into the entertainment industry. Um, and that's when I lived in California is when I started getting interested in food. Um, and at that point I'd been introduced to a, um, a small green leaf that actually turned out to be a stevia leaf. And, um, and thanks for clarifying was, that. <laughs> <laughs> and, I was really, California. <laughs> yeah. and I was really amazed. It was like, wow, this is super sweet. And it really, that was the trajectory of, of me, starting a, a food ingredient company and then a line of products and you know that you know that this small leaf was 25 times sweeter than sugar but didn't have any calories or carbs so that kind of brought me down you know brought me back down the path of hey what can i do with this how can i extract those sweet constituents from the leaf and found a way to do it and flash forward eight long years the FDA finally approved it as a uh, food ingredient and, you know, and we were able to build a, a pretty decent sized business out of it and employ some people and, and change a few lives. So, so tell me what, I mean, let's drill down just for a second there on kind of the FDA approval. What was the, what was the holdup? Why, why did it take so long? Cause it seems like a simple, you know, it's a leaf. I mean, is it the fact that, that it was not tested? There was no track record. I mean, no one had ever tried it before. What was what took it so long other than just bureaucracy? Um, well, I would say definitely bureaucracy was the main the main thing, but also it, you know, the FDA is 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 sort of a different branch of of our government. Um, you know, they can be moved pretty easily by lobbyists. Mm. And, you know, it wasn't us that was able to uh, persuade the FDA to allow it to to be used as a food ingredient. It was a company called Cargill, um, which is a multi-billion-dollar yeah, uh, food ingredient company who controls you know a big percentage of the worldwide uh, corn crop. So they have influence and in deep pockets, and you know they were able to persuade the FDA to uh, to approve it. And it wasn't approved through a the typical method, which is uh, you know which is you apply, uh, you know, or you, you write letters to the FDA asking for grass status and grass is G R A S and it represents generally regarded as safe. Mm. Um, so a, an ingredient or a compound has to have grass status 
and be generally regarded as safe before it can be used as a food ingredient um, and sold as anything but a uh, dietary supplement. So, okay. which has less does, restriction than dietary uh, supplement may. Dietary dietary supplements has a lot less restrictions. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I I think hopefully the the supplement inter- industry is getting better. But um, you know, I've read a couple different uh, cu- couple different studies that seventy five percent of all the supplements supplements that are sold on the market today do have some sort of adulteration or are not to spec what's on the nutritional facts panel. So. Right. Right. The, the supplement industry isn't as regulated as as the food industry. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes. Yeah, so to get a grass status, really, really paved the way to, uh, you know, for us, you know, to I guess ride the long tail of Cargill, um, you know, into the sweetener industry. So, you know, while while they're a big company, you know we're a smaller company and we were able to take advantage of, of, you know, what they did. Did you also have to compete against uh, like the counter lobby of like the sugar industry or the counter lobby of, of those that, that would not want to see this approved as a, as a sugar substitute? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And it wasn't so much the sugar industry. Um, it was the nutraceutical industry or, you know, like uh, companies that, you know, that hold the intellectual property for um, for NutraSweet, which is aspartame. And right. at the time, I think at the time that we, we were working on trying to get grass status, Donald Rumsfeld actually was working with a company, I think it was Mersant, who had the intellectual property rights to uh, aspartame. And then, you know, I think at the time, Johnson & Johnson had the intellectual property rights for uh, sucralose, which is the sweet constituent that you'd find in uh, Splenda. Um, right. Those those companies were were, I would say, more fierce about making sure that you know that stevia didn't you know didn't get a grass status but um i think persistence paid off and you know now stevia does enjoy grass status so you can use stevia in you know food beverage manufacturing and you know it's uh it makes for a a product that's i think natural clean works for people I, I, mean, I love the way you kind of framed that about, you know, it's not necessarily the sugar manufacturers, it's the sugar right. substitute manufacturers that, that would have yeah. more of an issue with, with you coming in that market. But so yeah. walk us through kind of the, the business transition. You touched on it just briefly about the idea of, you know, I, I kind of discovered this green leaf and then I've been mm. chasing this, this dream for eight years or whatever. And often, you know, even people we've interviewed before on the, on the mm. podcast that, that are maybe in this space, they probably were in the space, not because they just happened to discover a, a green leaf one day, but mm-hmm. they were working on maybe personal, like personal health issues or something. Mm-hmm. And they discovered, wow, this really works. And now I'm going to actually do it, you know, make a business out of the, the things I found out that I was doing personally. But mm-hmm. yours was almost a little backwards from what I remember on, on a, like listening to another podcast that you were kind of in this space and then you kind of got healthy after the fact. Is that, is that a fair picture or? I would say, yes, it is a fair picture. I, you know, I was a sugar addict. So, you know, in my college days, I would take a can of Coke and drink some of it out and then empty a pack of M&Ms into it. 
and because it wasn't quite sweet enough for me and didn't quite have enough sugar. So, you know, wow, I that's did, hardcore. <laughs> yeah, I was way hardcore about my sugar, my sugar consumption. Um, so by consuming that much sugar, you know, a lot of, you know, I, I was constantly fighting weight going up and down, you know, and uh, other sort of health issues and, you know, just wasn't, you know, wasn't my best self, I guess. Um, you know, and when I discovered Stevia, I was just enamored with it because I thought this could be this could be kind of interesting, you know, way for me to tame my my sweet tooth. So, um, you know, for those selfish reasons, I'm like super interested in it at the time. It's like, wow, this is really cool. And so what came up for me because, you know, I'm a you know, fifth generation entrepreneur is, you know, how can I solve a solution you know, or create a solution with with um, you know, with Stevia. And at that point I saw that there was a really interesting pathway, um, you know, where I could launch a consumer brand, um, you know, selling into health food stores and whole foods and whatnot, you know, I could start there. And then my, my end game was to actually, you know, take that consumer brand equity that I built at retail and then parlay that into an ingredient company. Um, so that really worked out for us because we had, you know, some, uh, some of the early adopters, like some of the companies that we, that we supplied in the, in the beginning found us at health, health food stores and found us on shelves and then contacted us and asked us, Hey, can you sell us, you know, a truckload? And, you know, so it really did work, um, you know, from us starting consumer brand and then just moving solidly into an ingredient company. So the eight years that it took to kind of get, you know, the kind of the grass status. So, I mean, you weren't just parked for eight years. So walk us through that, that process of, of, you know, how you stay afloat when you're waiting on, you know, you, you started this with the idea, you probably raised some capital in the early stages. I mean, yeah. how do you, how did you, or what were you doing in the, in the interim when you were just kind of waiting on this to be approved? Um, I was working. <laughs> this <laughs> I was, was Walmart, my Walmart. I was stuck in shelves. <laughs> this was, this was, you know, this was my side hustle. Um, and it was my side hustle and probably until probably 2004 when things really started to take hold. 2008 is when, you know, is when uh, Stevia had uh, gained grass status. Mm -hmm. um, so in that interim, you know, this was my side hustle. So during the, during the week, you know, I was a regional vice president for a company called Clear Channel, you know, and then yeah. every penny that I made was going back into building the company, which was then called Staviva Brands. So, um, yeah, like during during the week, I'd just work my regular job. And then on weekends, I'd go to stores and do store demos. And, you know, we started an online newsletter before online newsletters were cool. And, um, you know, built a really solid direct consumer and uh, business. And then we were able to push people into retail stores. So this was all done on uh, nights and weekends while, you know, while I had a regular job. So when it's interesting, the, the name of the company, you know, it's mm -hmm. so close to Stevia. Mm -hmm. So matter of fact, I had to read that about four or five different times. I'm thinking right. I, I'm like, 
I'm I'm dyslexic or something because this looks like Staviva or something like that. Yeah. So it's like, do you think they misprinted this on the brand? So tell me the story behind that name, like being so close, but but yet not not the exact same. Or I guess was Stevia already taken? Or um, it, I wanted to st- I wanted to create a brand that people could associate back to to Stevia, and so Staviva just felt like a fun, you know, lively name for, for the company. So, but what I can tell you though, is that turned out to be a double-edged sword for us because, you know, I envisioned that Stevia was just going to be, that's what we sell. This is what we're going to do. We're going to be the Stevia Kings. And really what happened is that we became, we leaned more into creating sweetening systems. Like we were using erythritol, which is uh, alcohol sugar and mixing it with, uh, with stevia, and then we got into monk fruit, and then we got into allulose, and then we got into a variety of different sweetening systems and blends that were functional. Um, so, I mean, while the consumer side is still called Staviva Brands, we we got pigeonholed into stevia because yeah. everybody is like, "Where are you going to go for stevia? We're going to go to Staviva," and we, you know, when we tell people, well you know, we're one of the biggest uh, suppliers of erythritol on a global basis, they would, they, they would be shocked by it. It's like, oh, we didn't know that. We thought we did, they, all we did was stevia. So that's when about four years ago, we did a, a, a study on, you know, how we would position ourselves in the marketplace and changed our name to Icon Foods. Okay. Uh, so, right. uh, which really is more i would say more in alignment with mm-hmm. with what our company philosophy is you know like being a symbol of excellence and quality i mean quality and doing third party you know uh third party um diagnostics on all of our products and testing for heavy metals and so even our color scheme which used to be heavy and greens and leaves and stuff changed to like red, white, and blue. Um, okay. Just real solid power colors. And we right. moved from really positioning ourselves as a, is a all natural company or a natural company to a company that focuses on purely quality, like the mm-hmm. highest quality ingredients. And that's really worked for us. And, and within that, um, that framework, we also, you know, put together like a customer, uh, customer service sort of strategy. And that was all about providing concierge service, like being first class. And that's the thing that we really push, you know, through all of our sales reps and any people that have any contact with customers at all is that when we want them to walk away, the feeling like this was an amazing, you know, this was an amazing experience from beginning to end. Um, because we have competitors, mm-hmm. you know, and then when we have competitors, you know, when we have customers say, Hey, I can get this product for 10 cents, a, a kilogram cheaper, you know, that's when we can say, well, do you enjoy their service? Do you enjoy, you know, doing business with them? Do they get you the right documentations or the shipping and is there shipping on time? And then, you know, we can extrapolate that to, is that worth $300 extra a month? Right. Yeah. And, if they're spending a million dollars a year with us, that's usually a pretty silly question. They're like, well, of course it's worth that. And that's like, well, 
you know. <laughs> Why are we having this conversation? <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead and move move forward with some purchase orders and, and just put this in our past. Yeah, I'm glad you clarified that because I was trying to like fit Icon Foods and Steviva together in, in kind of what the, you know, the layered approach, what's the umbrella company, what's the, what's the mothership, what's the satellite, you know, that type of thing. But uh, right. I mean, I, I just love the, the idea behind this, the, you know, just really kind of the concierge, concierge service that you, you know, that you look to. I mean, I, I think of brands like, you know, Chick-fil-A that, that it, it is so important, you know, that they serve well, you know, in mm-hmm. their, in their, you know, fast food restaurants or whatever. And it's just, yeah, that is the extra. I and mean, they're not the cheapest, they're not the cheapest fast food out there. Right. But yet they, you know, year on year, they're, they're ranked the highest quality, you know, service brand, you know, out there. So it's just really interesting to see that, you know, you've, you've taken a similar approach and, and uh, I mean, I really applaud you in that because oh, well, thank uh, you. you don't have to compete necessarily as much on price because you are delivering right. such high quality service. But um, drill down a little bit on the on the um, kind of how, you know, Guy Gone Keto fits in in that family as well. And is that more of a like a personal brand that just kind of grew out of your your personal experience under this umbrella? Or is this completely separate? Kind of tie these together. That's my new side hustle. Okay. <laughs> so, you are a fifth generation entrepreneur. You, the gears are always turning. They, they are. And so, you know, I, I, I would say that there was a series of events that happened about five years ago. Like I was carrying about 35 pounds of extra weight. Um, blood pressure was through the roof. Stress was through the roof. And, you know, most of the companies that, that we supply products to are either in low carb low carb or ketogenic um you know and i felt i felt a little bit like an imposter because Mm. you know while i was like dealing with a lot of these companies and and selling to them you know products for their keto and low carb um you know i was drinking a bottle of wine and eating a pizza at night and you know carrying a little extra weight and just not being very healthy and and it wasn't I would say that the the tipping point for me, and I guess you could even call it bottoming out point, was when you know I was in Vegas for a trade show, and one of our uh, vendors took me out to dinner, and it was kind of like it was Vegas, it was no holds barred. Like it's like let's have some wine, let's have you know steaks and potatoes, and I mean I just really overate, and you know had a couple glasses of wine and a piece of cake. And I got up to my room uh, at the Luxor and it just, it, the, the room just reeked of booze and, and broken dreams and, you know, and, re- and regret. And so the timing was perfect because I just looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, whoa, you know, this is not the person that I want to be. You know, I don't want to be carrying this extra weight and I don't want to be, you know, in brain fog all the time. Mm. And you know, and it's like, I'm just better than this. And at that, at that point in time, I just sort of associated every bad thing with my eating habits, you know, like, is that donut, what's that donut going to do for me? Like, you know, what's that slice of pizza going to do? And so, I mean, I really associated pain with that pleasure that I was getting. And I just did it to such a level that the pain of eating garbage like that exceeded the pleasure that I was deriving from it. And while I was going through that experience, right, 
um, I started writing it down because I, I mean, I'm a freak about journaling. I mean, I never miss it. It's one of those things that I just do every day. Um, so I just started journaling about my process. I started journaling about, you know, um, some of the struggles, some of the things that I, you know, I would say some of the modalities I leveraged to, you know, to get more discipline. Um, and after a year, um, I had a book. <laughs> and so um, I had some friends hook me up with a, with a publisher and, and got the book out. And part of that whole process while I was writing that book is I was really trying to find uh, replacements, you know, for things mm -hmm. that I couldn't eat anymore, like barbecue sauce. It's like, well, I can't barbecue sauce because that's sugar. So, I mean, I've been working, you know, at my company as a food technologist and, you know, I made barbecue sauce using our sweetening systems. And then I made ketchup and I made sweet Thai sweet chili sauce and teriyaki sauce. So I started making all of the things that I couldn't have. Um, and then of course, you know, my friends and family suggest, why aren't you selling this to people? So I got it out to people. They're like, this is amazing. You need to package it up. So I packaged it up and sort of leveraged the popularity of the book, um, you know, into getting direct consumer sales. And, and so my side hustle kind of took off and it's taking off. Well, I, yeah, uh, we talked off camera a little bit about this, a nice little, uh, you know, intro package that you send the podcast host that is uh, incredibly generous and wow. I mean, I, I want you to hit the pause button, get in your car. Well, I'm sorry, better hop on your bike and go to Whole yeah. Foods and pick this up. It's called Guy Gone Keto. Look for those brands. And where, what other stores is it available in as I'm doing your, this, this, uh, personal um, public we, service announcement? Oh, thank you. Uh, mostly, I mean, we do, mostly we do direct consumer, you know, online. So if they just go to Guy Gone Keto or they go on Amazon, uh, GNC, um, we haven't, we're, I mean, I think that we're still trying to work out some of the bugs, um, you know, to make the product perfect. So I think that the product is actually really good. Everybody tells me how excellent it is, um, followed by how crappy the packaging is. So, you know, I thought just the exact opposite, but you know, I'm, I'm an old guy that didn't have good taste, but, uh, I, I thought the packaging was really good. <laughs> well, so part of the problem with the packaging, right. Is that it's a stand cap pouch. Yeah. So in order to get the top off, you, you know, you have to like pull, uh, you know, pull the seal ring and a lot of people, um, maybe confused by the principles of displacement. So they squeeze the bag while and other pull. complicated issues. <laughs> it is complicated. And, you know, and, and I, I didn't foresee it to be so complicated, but I've had so many people tell me we love the product. We didn't love the fact that it ended up all over our shirt. And <laughs> I'm like, I get it. I get it. So we did develop two more SKUs. So I've got a spicy garlic ketchup and a nuclear spicy barbecue sauce um, and we completely revamped all the packaging and we're going into a recyclable recyclable uh, heat resistant PET uh, bottle so we'll still be able to ship they won't break you can recycle it you can reuse it you can do whatever you want plant flowers in it if you want all right um, so that new packaging will be out in the next couple months we'll do a big huge promotion get everybody acquainted with it and um, 
And you're gonna yeah. send me a new package that I can actually open this time, or something? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> of course, we, well, we want no everybody. <laughs> we want everybody to review it because I I would love to get people's opinions on the spicy garlic ketchup because it's really, from my perspective, really solid. Mm. And then the barbecue sauce, like I like spicy food, but that barbecue sauce was just right on the edge. I was like, oh man, I don't know. It's like, you know, but people have tried it you know, we've had a focus group, everybody tried it. And I would say 90% of the people thought it was spot on the other 10% just, you know, we're over in the corner crying, (laughs) (laughs) huddled in the fetal position. My mouth is burning. Um, So, I mean, that was, I think we nailed it. And so that's the one I want to get out because I have, you know, get into people's hands because I have a feeling that once they try it, I can really get some cool opinions on it. absolutely yeah that, that that does sound like a viral type type product that you could launch on the market. either way either way somebody's gonna be like this is the best stuff i've ever had or you know this stuff burned my face off <laughs> a quick side note i was i saw a little meme on on facebook the other day that that it, it was a a little like chalkboard in front of a coffee shop that said Come on in and please try the worst coffee one person on Yelp ever had. And I thought, what a what an interesting you know advertising approach. I like that. Yours is going to be, you know, come try our barbecue sauce. One person is still crying or something like that on Yelp. <laughs> we'll leverage it. <laughs> leverage it for whatever you can. Yeah, that's right. All publicity is good publicity. But yep. I wanted to uh, touch on something that that you mm-hmm. said just a minute ago. You you brought up kind of the term. You you felt like an imposter. You know, mm-hmm. but so. I, I like I told you off off air that I was listening to another podcast that you had done and mm-hmm. you you kind of expounded a little bit like on the idea of imposter syndrome. But yeah. I wanted to kind of, you know, in a unique kind of juxtaposition, I wanted to put those two things together. So you you said when I'm sitting there, I'm talking to these these people about health food and I'm not yeah. I'm not even living a healthy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But then in in the the whole idea of, you know, that you want to feel like you know, if you're not, if you're not living in kind of constant, um, tension of imposter mm-hmm. syndrome, mm-hmm. then you're probably not challenging yourself enough, or you're probably not doing 100%. enough to kind of get out of the comfort zone type thing. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. You're the author. I just touch on those, those two things, just maybe draw them together a little bit. Well, I mean, one of the things that I live through or live by is I want to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so I think it's important to constantly take yourself out of your comfort zone. And I would also say that, yeah, if you're not, if you don't feel like an imposter, like most of the time, then you're not reaching high enough. Um, Because that's, you know, like when I first started getting, you know, working and developing career, uh, you know, the big phrase was fake it until you make it. And I just think that that's important. I mean, some people might think that's, you know, uh, controversial. I don't really feel that. I really feel like human beings, if they put their mind to something that we can all achieve absolute amazing things. Um, But we're all beginners. We all start somewhere. And even like when, you know, we're just beginning to walk, we fake it till we make it. And the next thing you know, we've gone from, crawling to walking, walking yeah. to running. So yeah. I think that, you know, if you're not feeling like an imposter sometimes, maybe re-examine your game and level it up. Because, you know, if you're pushing the edge of, of what you're capable of now, um, 
you know, you're going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to feel like an imposter, but you're going to master it. And then you can take yourself to the next level and the next level. So, um, you know, there's still not a day goes by for me where I don't feel, you know, like a little bit of an imposter. And, you know, I lean into that because it means that I'm, you know, I'm pushing the edge. It's a little bit like, like almost the, uh, the present that the performers get, like, I get butterflies in my stomach virtually every time I go. And, and was it, I can't remember if it was uh, Michael Jordan or maybe mm. Kobe. One of those guys mm. said, if the day that I don't have butterflies anymore, when I walk out on the court is the day I'm going to quit. Yeah. You know, that whole idea of just the, the, the healthy tension or healthy nervousness that kind of mm. raises your game to that higher level. And, mm. and I love the, the way that you, you kind of frame that about, you know, put yourself in a position that you have to be stretched. You know, oh, you have to be challenged. 100%. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to stagnate. Um, yeah. But just I, I wanted to make sure that we touched on that because I, I mean, that was such a, you know, a kind of a crucial point that, you know, in your other interview that I, I thought was so, so important to kind of expound on. But it's a I think it's a great segue into this, this kind of one of the final segments of our chat here is the whole idea of the of our rising tide startup school. Mm-hmm. So at the very end, we, we just, I, I really want to just step aside and just give you the opportunity to, you know, kind of put on your professor hat and really speak to those that are listening that are, you know, maybe they're trapped in the cube and they've got a great idea and they're trying to, how do I scale the wall and get out and, and kind of start something. But what are, what are two or three just really foundational steps that you think everyone, regardless of what you start, mm-hmm. what are, what are two or three foundational steps that you really have to kind of put in place you know, to, to really increase the likelihood of success when you're, when you're starting up a new venture? Um, I would say first off is have a plan. Um, you know, I mean, having a plan is, is critical because that's going to be, that's going to be your map. That's going to be, you know, uh, that's going to be how you find your way, your, your path to success is by having a plan and how you're going to get there. And within that plan, you know, have firm dates. Like I will accomplish this by this date. Um, I would say that is the number one, you know, most important thing, you know, in, in, in a startup. Uh, I would also say number two is, um, is be prepared to pivot because mm-hmm. not all your ideas are going to be great. Some of them are going to be pretty crappy. And I would say that 90% of my ideas have been crappy. Um, but I have had the ability to, you know, to own it and say, this isn't a great idea. This isn't the direction I need to be going. And then pivoting, pivoting into, you know, into other space that, that, that does make sense. I think that getting too attached to, uh, to your idea or getting too attached to maybe some of the details behind your idea, bad idea. So I would, you know, be, you know, have a plan be willing to pivot. And then it's also really about determination. Um, it's determination, self-discipline, uh, and resilience, mm-hmm. you know, keep yourself resilient. Um, and I know this is more than two, but I would I have to add a fourth one too. And that is self-care. Um, yeah. because you can grind and grind and grind and grind, you know, and, and you can, you know, start, being really successful, but then it's not going to mean anything if you are broken mm-hmm. and, you know, making sure, sure that you keep your oxygen mask on so you can be of service to others. Um, 
you know, that's the way that you're going to have, you know, continuing long-term success. So I, every day do something to take care of myself. I get up in the morning, I exercise, I journal, um, I practice meditation, yoga. I do things for myself, um, you know, that keep me grounded. Right. So you can do things for others. hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's like, you can't, yeah. I mean, when you get on a plane, you know, and they're like, Hey, put your ass oxygen mask on first. I mean that I live by that. It's mm -hmm. like, if you are not taking care of yourself then you're not going to be of service to others. And that's what we're all here for really is, is to serve others. Even our ideas, you know, that we come up with as startups there it's to, it's to create a solution you know, and it's to be of service to people. Um, I don't think that all entrepreneurs are just like, I'm going to go make a bunch of money. I think that's a bad way to, to start. I think I'm going to provide a service that make pe makes people's lives better. And I think that, you know, taking care of yourself um, and recognizing, you know, service to others is really, you know, is really key. And was it Einstein that said, you know, don't, don't strive to be a person of success, be a person of value or something to, you know, to that effect and, and the success will follow, you know, at, oh, on, on the end of that. So, so as a, as a quick recap, I mean, I love these, these ideas. I mean, really have a good plan. That's kind of your, you know, your roadmap of your true North. And, mm -hmm. um, I, the second one I wrote down is be okay with pivot, you mm -hmm. know, with pivots because they invariably will come. But the third mm -hmm. was, just rugged determination, discipline, like resilience. And the fourth is really self-care. I mean, this idea yeah. that, you know, the first three don't really matter if you're not going to be around to kind of, kind of <laughs> see these through. Um, yeah. But I, I want to touch on, on point number two, just for a second. So mm -hmm. you, you got vast experience, even genetically, you've got vast entrepreneurial experience, but mm -hmm. so tell me about pivots. So how do you know when it's a, when it's the right time to pivot versus I'm just, you know, it's another shiny object and, and I, I'm chasing squirrels and, you know, that type of thing. Cause it seems like almost a, 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 um, a really dangerous intersection that you, you know, it's kind of like the old adage, the guy quit digging, you know, in the mine mm -hmm. a foot before he hit gold, you know, that right. type of thing. So yeah. what, what is kind of your, your compass for deciding or what's the metric or, or the idea that between deciding when it's time to pivot and when it's not? Well, I would say that there's a difference between pivoting and pulling the ripcord. So sure. like pulling the ripcord is like, I'm out of here. You know, this isn't working. Pivoting is having your same idea, your same concept, but pivoting in a bit of a different direction. So um, for instance, you know, when we got into the retail space, like we, I, you know, I really felt like retail was where we would need to be like, you know, we want to be in, on every store shelf. And there was a lot of things that I didn't know about um, selling a product into brick and mortar at that mm -hmm. time. Like one of them is dealing with brokers. So yeah. your brokers are the ones that go into the stores and sell your product and then convince uh, distributors um, to actually take your product to deliver to stores. So by the time you pay brokers and by the time you pay the distributors, you know, if you don't have big margins on your product, then you're, you're going to end up losing money because those distributors, it's like organized crime. Like they've got a fee for everything. They control you know? the shelf space. That's oh yeah. It's like, sure. you're going to pay for slotting fees. You're going to pay, you know, off invoice marketing expenses and you might submit an invoice for, you know, $20,000 and you get a check back for 1500 
and then you got to go back and fight for every bit of it. So, you know, I didn't know that going into it. And so that was like really, you know, that was an opportunity for me to take a look at what I was doing um, and why, and then also that, hey, we're not going to make our money off retail, but what we're going to do is we're going to use retail to build consumer brand equity because the, those people that are food technologists and company owners and food manufacturers, they shop stores just like anybody else. Mm -hmm. So it's a great way to get in front of those people. And that's where, you know, that's where I had to pivot from, well, does it make sense for us to have retail as a profit center or do we use retail as a way to connect and then be able to parlay that consumer brand uh, equity into an ingredient company because ingredient is where you're going to make all of your money. Because if you do one transaction, you know, and you're making eight bucks on it, that's one thing. But if you do another transaction and you're making $80,000 on it, you know, it, it takes the same amount of time for each transaction. Right. So that's like, did we pull the ripcord? Nope. We're still in stores. We're still doing direct to consumer, but we, we pivoted way, way more into ingredient sales because we saw that's where our greatest opportunity was to make more money, to make bigger margins, and also have a greater impact on, you know, on, on the world. Yeah. Oh, I, I love the way you kind of framed that of this, the idea that, you know, kind of let market forces determine, you know, what the next step is and kind of let, sure. you know, your research and testing and, and, you know, feedback and all these things that the kind of the the feedback metric mechanism that is kind of dictating, you know, what you're, what you're doing in the next phase or whatever. But um, is there anything that we, we really haven't touched on? Is there anything you want to close us up with right now? And and then I, I want to make sure that people know exactly where to find, you know, even the, the various things we've discussed, you know, on the, on the interview today. Um, I just, I'd like to add the, you know, to, for your listeners, your viewers, you know, that are, you know, considering or in the midst of a startup. Um, I love those people. You know, I love startups. And it's interesting. I run into a lot of uh, CEOs that are like, oh, I hate the startup world. It's, it's so <laughs> unsure. And I'm like, that's crazy. That's why I shouldn't be a CEO, actually. I should be, just continue being an entrepreneur because I love startups. I love the, I love startups, the excitement of them when people are in those seminal stages of building a company. That's when it's got its most aliveness. And oh, for that's sure. when everybody's just on board and it and it's it's more than a business, it's it's a cause. And so I would have to say to all of your listeners that that are are in startups or thinking about startups, that it's like I admire you, I respect you. And, and just keep at it. Just, you know, don't give up, pivot if you have to, but you know, it takes a lot of courage, a lot of courage to start your own business. And uh, yeah, and I admire that. Sounds like to me that your, your next venture needs to be like mentoring startups. <laughs> <laughs> if I had time, <laughs> I love working with startups because I do a lot of like consulting, you know, when people, are looking for a particular type of sweetener and my favorites my favorites are when somebody's in the startup stage that's just starting to crack over like a million dollars or something and you know and they're like hey we're thinking of expanding our SKUs and stuff like that and i i love taking those calls 
Excited. What, a, what a great time. Well, Tom, where's the best place to find you online? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. So Tom, T-H-O-M, last name's King, K-I-N-G. Find me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm probably most uh, responsive. Um, also, you can find me on Guy Gone Keto. Like Guy Gone Keto, I'm on Instagram. I'm on all of the, all of the social medias. And out of those, um, you know, I monitor them quite a bit. So yeah, if you, if you hit me up on direct message, I will certainly get back to you. Well, I, I'd say I've really enjoyed our chat today and just hearing kind of the, the backstory behind Guy Gone Keto and what this oh, magic you. package that appeared on my front porch <laughs> that day. But uh, Tom, I just really appreciate you taking the time. And I, I know you've you got a very busy schedule and in, in the midst of, you know, all the, the things surrounding kind of COVID-19 and the coronavirus that you're probably dealing with at an extra high level right now. But uh, just thank you again for, for coming on the show and just helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Tom, uh-huh. have a great day. Likewise, you too. Thanks, Kevin. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.